0: Join me in Acts chapter 4. As we press on in this study of Acts, which overall is challenging us with this theme of the advance of the kingdom. It's happening. It happened this past week. It will continue to happen this week. Ours is a decision of how much we will be involved in that advance. And in our text, we find God's people celebrating and rejoicing in this post-Pentecost era. There is excitement. They are gathering often on the Temple Mount. And today, the rubber kind of meets the road as that joy will be tested by opposition. As John mentioned earlier, our story from last week continues into this week. We saw in chapter 3 a sign, a lame man leaping, and a sermon. Jesus can forgive sinners. And both the sign and the sermon were communicating the truth that Jesus can transform your life. Today we see That some of Israel's elite were less than excited about this miracle and its appeal to the crowd. It's really a further definition of unbelief. When we speak in metaphor, it seems to make sense. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light. But in Acts 3, when we see light, transforming light, we see now the darkness saying, we don't like that light. In essence, we don't need any more lame people leaping. We'd rather just the brokenness. Don't tell us about Forgiveness of sins through Jesus of Nazareth if it means we must bear any guilt for having rejected him. Darkness is unfolding for us so that we can be clear in the rest of our study in the book of Acts that the Christian life will not always be simple, unopposed, Seasons of ease and rejoicing. As we read through our story, we find Peter making it clear that the man was healed in the name of Jesus and that the name of Jesus represents the only way to salvation. And it is then that the religious leaders decide to act to act against this teaching, to act against good news, to act against the name of Jesus. As we read through this chapter, chapter 4, it seems like everything in the story is arguing for the preeminence of Jesus. Each portion of the story is built on the reality that Jesus, only Jesus... Is the way to heaven. This is our theme then. As this whole story steers our thinking, we come away from this text with this simple phrase Jesus, only Jesus. I want to give you six themes that Jesus, only Jesus, represents to us from our story. I think they'll be easy enough to see in the text. I want to try to get us out in time to be able to fellowship next door for a moment and hear what's going on. But let's cover a six-point outline this morning that unfolds what we mean when we say, Jesus, only Jesus. This thematic phrase stands first as an irritation to unbelievers. Jesus, only Jesus, sounds sweet to a Christian, and the word sweetness and the word Jesus are often lumped together in the hymnody of the church. We might not think sweet sounds manly or or tough, or maybe it shouldn't be used with God, but when we really get down to what sweetness means, it it does work. And yet, we see here in the text that the name of Jesus and what it re- represents in his transforming work is an irritation to believers. So if you look at verses 1 to 3, I think you'd be able to find the biblical grounds for this first point. How how do we see Jesus as an irritation to unbelievers? You wouldn't have to read too long before you read that these religious leaders in verse two were greatly annoyed. Or maybe your text says they were disturbed. Think of it as laying on a raft in the swimming pool, you're soaking up the hot sun, you're dry now because you're on your raft and you'd kind of like to stay that way. And then your grandkids come and cannonball into the pool. And not only do the waves start getting you cold and wet, but the water splashes on you. It's a disturbance. It's an irritation. And that's the word here. It, it, it just, oh, it irked them. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So irritation is the word on the outline, but we realize this irritation has consequences. This isn't just the religious crowd went home and vented to their wives about these crazy Jesus followers. No, we're getting a glimpse now of what is to come. Kind of like when the wind blows and it's that cool breeze and you know that storm's moving in. You might not even see the dark clouds yet, but the wind is there. It's coming. They were greatly annoyed and they arrested them. Who are these that were greatly annoyed? Well, kind of three categories. We could call one the state the authorities of the land. Now, Rome is ultimately in charge, but these rulers that are mentioned in either verse 1 or verse 5 and 6, these rulers are some influential people of the culture. You can see mentioned there the Sadducees in verse 1. We often hear them listed with the Pharisees, but they're kind of different crowds. The Sadducees had aligned themselves with Rome. They were the most political of the people listed here. The Sadducees had in their power the family of the high priest. So the high priest was a part of that political religious alliance. They saw the wisdom in being friends with Rome at any cost of compromise. So the state had a say in this. But so did the religious leaders. The priests, the chief priests, and so did the academics of the day. They're called the scribes here. We would know them as the Pharisees. The the students of and the teachers of the law, God's law. So much like our day today, our message of Jesus, only Jesus, is going to cause conflict with the academic crowd, with a religious crowd, and it may be so that it causes conflict with the state. I don't know if you know, but Jackson County for weeks kept bringing to the table in its uh, board a a measure to outlaw any counsel given to help someone who was considering a gender change. Jackson County approved that in their board, uh, kind of under the radar, thus, in a sense, taking the first step to making it very unwise to counsel someone against transgender living. Of course, they're assuring everyone that churches would be protected, but I think we should be wise enough to see that unless things change, We are heading down a path where a message of Jesus and his way of living, the Great Commission is we teach everything Jesus taught. That is going to come in conflict with, yes, the academic crowd, even a religious crowd, and civil government. And why were they bothered? Look at verse 2. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people. By the very nature of them teaching, they were encroaching on the territory of the religious crowd. That's our job. We are the teachers. We'll see that later when they consider the disciples to be uneducated men. Not that they were ignorant and knew nothing. They weren't trained in the right circles, in the right schools. They were bothered that someone else was teaching, and more so, they were bothered at this talk of Jesus. They had spent three years trying to remedy the problem of Jesus. When Jesus began his ministry, you could read of it in Luke 4, he reads from Isaiah 61 of all the sweet things that Messiah would accomplish. And then he rolls up that scroll and he says, this day, this is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying, I am that promised Messiah. I'm here to do that sweet work. And at first they're amazed at his teaching, but by the end of that sermon, they were trying to throw him off a cliff. And you can read in the different texts of his early ministry, things like, and from that day forward, they sought to kill him. For three years, they so hated this light that they were trying to get rid of Jesus of Nazareth. And now, there are all these people sounding just like him. They're teaching, and worse, they're teaching about Jesus, who they say rose from the dead. They're annoyed. They're irritated. This is what the message of Jesus does. Some of you in your own families know better than others what Jesus meant when he said, I came to bring a sword. A sword that would divide. Not because Christians are hateful, violent, angry people, but because the message of Jesus, only Jesus, becomes an offense to people. They don't understand it And further, they don't like it. And some of you aren't as close to your family as you would like to be. And family gatherings are always a minefield for you because you know that the truth of who Jesus is has divided. Take heart. Jesus knew that would happen. Jesus experienced that, and yet he calls us to faithfulness to his name. Be ready for conflict, believers. Jesus tried to ready us. Read John 15 through 17, his message to the disciples as they went from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane. He said things like, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. So let us not be surprised when what we think is good news is not taken as such. We are shining light into darkness and darkness does not like the light. Number two, Jesus, only Jesus, stands as the power of God for salvation immediately after reading about Jesus being a bother to the religious leaders so much so that they will arrest these men to kind of scare them away from this message, then we read in verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Came to about 5,000 is building on chapter 2, where 3,000 had already been numbered. And now the number is increased. Now it comes to 5,000. So thousands of people who have been hearing of Jesus, his righteous life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension to the throne where he claims to be sitting there ruling over all things, this message is being received by people. They're believing it. Jesus is the power of God to salvation. So lest we be discouraged by the thought of conflict, tension, with the religious crowd, with the academic crowd, with the government crowd, lest that kind of be a downer on us, remember this. The same Jesus that puts you at odds with unbelievers is the Jesus who is steamrolling the unbelief in the hearts of those unbelievers. And many sons are being brought to glory because this gospel of Jesus Christ works. Yes, the good news of Jesus will make you some enemies. But the good news of Jesus will also make his enemies his sons and daughters. So do not be silent for fear of conflict with enemies when God has called you to reach his enemies with the good news. Do not give up your gospel hope. Do not say of the worst sinner you know that they are too far gone. Because verse 4 says, many are believing. I know it's disheartening to see those that have walked away from the faith, that seem to indulge in every wickedness. And it's harder now because you as family, as parents, as friends, can see it all unfold on social media. The mockery of all that they knew in their childhood, the wickedness of all they're doing in their adulthood. You work with these people. They live in your neighborhoods. They're the strangers among you. They are lost. But Jesus, only Jesus, is the power of God to transform their lives. We cannot be repulsed by their wickedness into silence. Our speaking of Jesus is the only hope. How will they hear? Unless we're sent to tell them. And so while Jesus does stand as an irritation to believers, secondly, we see that he is their only hope. He is the power of God for salvation. It's not too late. It's never too late until Jesus comes or he takes them home. There's a whole chorus of dry bones in Ezekiel that would call out to us, Don't give up hope. God can bring life out of death. This is what Jesus does. Jesus, only Jesus, number three, stands as the spirit-enabled answer for our hope. The spirit-enabled answer for our hope. After a night in jail, we're told that the next day the crowds gather, the religious leaders gather, the high priests are there, and they set these apostles in the middle and ask this question, by what power or by what name did you do this? In Deuteronomy chapter 13, there's the precedent for this kind of inquiry. If someone does some kind of miracle or sign, they were to be brought before the body So that sign could be confirmed that this was the power of God at work and they weren't engaged in some kind of sorcery, some kind of dark, evil power. So the questioning in and of itself could be valid. Clearly, we see from the early verses that they're out to silence the truth, not find it. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it was done. If he had stopped there, he would have answered the question completely and probably could have walked away without any real threatening and without any real failure. He answered the question, we did this in the name of Jesus. But he wanted to make sure they were clear that it wasn't just Jesus is kind of a good idea but that Jesus is the only idea. And so he goes on. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. I submit to you that it's a spirit-filled answer. The text is clear of that. But it is an answer. Let it be known to all that by the name of Jesus, and let me define who Jesus is. He was the righteous one that was crucified, but he rose again. That Jesus. Let it be known that that Jesus transforms lives. So in three consecutive sermons now, chapter 2, chapter 3, and now chapter 4, Peter has modeled what he would later call all of us to do, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Peter was ready. Why? Because Jesus said you would receive power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. So have you received the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Jesus and it's the power to be a witness. It's a power not only to answer questions, but a time to press that answer a little further so that you're clear with those coworkers, you're clear with that neighbor, you're clear with those family members that when you say Jesus, here's what you mean. The only way to God, the only hope for sinners the only life that is considered righteous. Jesus, only Jesus, Peter says, is the hope for being well. By this name, Jesus, this man is standing before you well. Remember, that standing before you well is a sign. It's a picture of the greater truth. So when we look around though we may see lame legs and blind eyes and physical infirmities, we're to be seeing the spiritual ruin and to be thinking the only way they can stand well, whole in the presence of God is by Jesus. Only Jesus. As the old gospel song says, Jesus is still the answer. He's always been and always will be. Number four, Jesus, only Jesus, stands as the exclusive way to eternal life. Now Peter gets specific about the Christian faith. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. (laughs) This is a quotation from Psalm 118, one of the Hallel Psalms from Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. So it's a praise song and it was sung as they would come up the hill, the winding paths to the top of the mountain where Jerusalem sat. And part of that song was, this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. But what was the day they were speaking of? The song continues, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We can sing that song anytime. Every day has been the day the Lord has made, but that text is specifically speaking of the day when the builders rejected the stone and crucified him and he became the cornerstone of our salvation. Peter is saying, you rejected Jesus. And yet he is everything you need. Jesus, only Jesus can make you whole like this lame man who is now standing before you. He goes on in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now Peter has just defined Christianity as exclusive, as narrow-minded, as intolerant, because these are all the labels that would be attached to Christianity when Christians will insist that Jesus is the only way to God, that there are not many roads that lead to God and Christianity is but one of them. Peter is clear, no other name, no other way. This is the one means of salvation. Yes, this does mean everyone else has it wrong because that's what you'll be charged with. So everyone else is wrong and you're right. How would you answer that? Well, find some loving way. Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect. So pull that in, but answer the question so that they're not left in confusion thinking you think there are many roads? The answer is yes. I believe what Jesus said when he told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's not complicated. That's not language that's hard to understand. So give them what Jesus said if you must. Skirt the question by just saying, all I can tell you is what Jesus said, and I'm taking him at his word. There is no other way. You will be accused of being arrogant. Oh, so you're the, you're the only one who knows how to get to God. You'll be called unloving. Oh, so I'm going to hell if I don't believe exactly what you believe. These are the things you will hear, and you need to be ready. Remember, Jesus, only Jesus, is an irritation to unbelievers, but they must hear it. It's the power of God to salvation. And this means, yes, we will be thrown into this category of being arrogant, unloving, intolerant, exclusive but the exclusivity of Jesus Christ is a fundamental pillar of Christianity. We are not saying Jesus can get you there, and so can a commitment to Buddhism. We're not saying Jesus can get you there, but, but so can a good life of righteousness. We're saying there is no other provision that has been offered to humanity than Jesus, the exclusive way to eternal life. Your response to all those belligerent accusations must simply be what Jesus said. Ask them a question in response. What if Jesus' words are true? And remind them, if you didn't care about them, you wouldn't need to contend with them about how they thought they could get to God. But because Christianity is loving and because the gospel call goes throughout the entire world, on one hand, Christianity is the most inclusive. We are willing to spread the gospel to every creature, Mark says. But the fact remains that you must believe in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other way. Jesus, only Jesus. Number five, Jesus, only Jesus, stands as the testimony of life transformation. Why are you so different? Why do you guys load up and... Are you going to church every Sunday? Is that what you do? What do you mean? How how, how come you can't be there Sunday? We're going to do this. We're having this work party, this company gathering. Why do you have to go to church? Ultimately, the testimony of a different life must be echoed by the message, the reason for why we are the way we are. Tell them the reason. It's Jesus. That's it, only Jesus. I am the way I am because of who Jesus is, what he's done for me, and how he tells me to live. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, again, not dumb guys but not those certified as official students of their teaching schools they're uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with jesus now that could be taken as virtuous like a kind of a compliment well thank you but also know this is problematic because They crucified Jesus because they hated what he was saying. And now they're saying, this sounds a lot like that. They perceived they had been around Jesus. They weren't flattering these guys. They're setting them up. In their own minds, they're thinking, problem, Jesus, let's eradicate it. This is starting to become a problem too. Hence what will follow with threatenings and warnings and all that comes. Now they're seeing this boldness of Peter. The way they're speaking belies some kind of knowledge that wasn't received in formal training. Must have come from their teacher, their master, Jesus. They were seeing some kind of transformation in the lives of these common men. But now look at verse 14. They recognized they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. That's why I think recognizing them as being with Jesus isn't such a good thing, because the next word is, but they couldn't do anything about it because of the miracle, the man standing right there. They're looking at a man that every one of those religious leaders, every scribe, every Sadducee, every high priest, including the chief high priest, all of them knew who that man was, where he had sat for 40 years in his condition, and now the text is clear. He is standing there next to these men. There he is the living billboard to the truth that Jesus transforms lives. And what can they do? Oh, they're going to do something. They're going to try something. But mark this verse because we say things like they knew because they did. They saw the sign of this man's transformation. The data was on the table. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth changed this man. And yet they're going to say, it doesn't matter. We have to get rid of this problem. They doubled down on unbelief, despite living transformation before their eyes. For us, the lesson is clear. We must be clear with those who see us as different, different in a good way, that it is because of Jesus, his grace, his goodness, what he tells us about marriage and parenting. Yes, thank you, boss, but here's why I work hard the way I do. Here's why I'm trying to make you look successful in this company. Because of what Jesus teaches us. Make it known that the transformation, the change, the difference, the goodness, the kindness, the love of neighbor is because of Jesus. Don't don't let this morph into some kind of self-righteousness. Your neighbor probably understands that already and assumes that's the reason. You're just a little better than they are. But that's not the truth. The truth is Jesus has changed you. Make it known. Have a testimony of life transformation in word and deed. Finally, finally, Jesus, only Jesus, stands as the measure of true authority. Verse 17, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Mind you, they they were just brought out of their jail cell. So here are these Religious leaders clearly exercising their authority, charging them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So the state is saying, don't talk about this anywhere. Jesus had told them in chapter one, talk about this everywhere, even to the ends of the earth. So what do we do? We've wrestled through this, right, during covid This theme easily surfaced. What is the authority of the state versus the authority of God? Clearly, the state is under God's authority. God ordained that authority, but God's in charge. The disciples here are going to make that point. The state says, don't talk about this anywhere. Jesus says, talk about this everywhere. So what do we do? Their argument is twofold. One, in response to the religious leaders... You're going to have to decide whether you want to stand in opposition to God. They say it this way. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. You've forced us into a choice between listening to God or listening to you. Do you think that's right? Do you want to be at odds with God's command to us? You decide. You make your choice, we'll make ours. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's kind of interesting wording even in English. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. If I were to read this to you in a literal translation from the the Greek right into English, it would make the point that this is a constant Answer, it's a present tense condition that they are saying we are in. They would say it this way, we are not able to not be speaking. The speaking is continual, it's not going to stop. In other words, the disciples were saying, listen, you guys are going to have to decide if you want to be commanding things that are opposed to God who told us to talk about this. But as for us, this is the way it's going to be. We cannot help but continually speaking about Jesus, only Jesus, who can transform lives. In in essence, the leaders were trying to tiptoe up to a line in the sand, and the disciples said, hey, let me help you with this and they took their toe, and they drugged that line deep and wide and said, here's the line. It's Jesus, and we're not going to cross it. We're on Jesus' side. We're not coming over to your side to avoid a little bit of tension or a lot of persecution. Jesus is the ultimate authority. You decide what you're going to do, but we can't. Do anything other than listen to the one who is our Lord. The religious leaders have the last word, at least for now. Verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people who were all praising God for what had happened. James Boyce, you can still hear him on the radio. Imagined realistically how the, a religious leader could have whispered in Peter's ear as they let them go, but he had one last message for him, Something like, remember what we did to Jesus. You guys might think you're all tough right now with a whole crowd behind you and everybody excited about a miracle. But remember how we got the crowds to chant over and over. Crucify him. You guys think you have the power, but remember who we are. And they sent him out with a warning, with a threat. You don't want to stand with Jesus. And what unfolds in the rest of the gospel of Acts, the rest of the history of the church, is that God's people have faithfully endured all kinds of opposition in the name of Jesus. The text is clear. The exclusivity of Jesus as the way of salvation is the hope of heaven for all who believe, but it is an unacceptable offense to those who do not. And you may encounter both this week as you give a reason for the hope that is in you. The the appalled shock that you would be so intolerant. Or maybe you'll encounter someone who in the moment of hearing of Jesus, the darkness gives way to the light, and they believe. So may God help us this week to be confident in the gospel, Salvation through Jesus and only Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your word to us hover in our minds and hearts, no other name. And may we, like Peter, say, let this be known. This only way, this way of Jesus, is the path to righteousness, to purpose, to joy, to everlasting life. Lord, anchor our faith in Jesus, only Jesus, And let this be our clear message to a lost and dying world. We pray in this strong and saving name that we have exalted in song, that we have seen in scripture, the name Jesus. Amen.